welcome in to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Howdy, howdy! I am not Luke Lipinski, as you probably could tell right away. Uh, Luke, uh, well, he's just invisible today. He, uh, we have a chair for him. We have a microphone for him, a headset. Hi, Luke. Could you say something? And he's just, he's no? just not there. Okay. He's going to mime the podcast today. So when we have a video podcast, you will enjoy this experience. Uh, but today we're going to preview the Detroit Red Wings with special guest us. And then we have Steve Karp to preview the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the Luke and I's adopted team, even though as he's nodding over there in silence, mm-hmm. uh, we were out there for the expansion draft and the NHL awards. But You brought but, a lot of stuff back, didn't you, from Vegas? Yeah, you know, we have a pennant. I think and you I brought, brought gifts like, for virtually everyone in the office, and, uh, except I the other you, two people in this room. Yeah, I got you. Um, okay. uh, hey, Luke, help did me out. Did you get something, Chris? Get you didn't get anything, did you? Our, our producer is just shaking his head. He, he did not get anything. But uh, uh, moving on. The Detroit Red Wings, they're uh, a team that, as you know, I've, I've spoken glowingly of on this show for, for months. Team. Love them. Them and the Canucks. I mean, if I could just watch two teams play hockey all season, it would be those two. Is that a lead-in of some <laughs> I don't know where that was going with that. <laughs> so let, let's just start right off the top. How did this roster become so badly mismanaged? It's funny because when you think about Ken Holland, their longtime GM, he's, he's got this just golden reputation as one of the best general managers in the game. And for a long time, he was. And for a long time, the Detroit Red Wings were the standard for the, for the NHL. They were the way you ran business. When you talk to GMs around the league, they were modeling themselves after the Red Wings who managed to you know, have that, that handful of superstars but continually putting in pieces, drafting so well. Their scouting department was so good that they found diamonds in the rough. And they stayed competitive. They stayed cup contenders for a long time. Made the playoffs 25 straight years. But now, you look at this roster, you look at this cap situation, and I don't even know where to begin. Which is the worst contract on this roster? Well, there, there are a lot to choose from. I'm, I'm going to go with Applicator because that's a contract I, I didn't understand from day one. You, why you sign a player for that much money for that long. 4.25 over six more years. But, but what type of player is he? He's a middle six forward. What, what is the need to sign a player to that sort of term at four and a quarter million dollars a year? And I thought that at the time. This isn't hindsight where a player was really strong for one year and it's fallen off. It was a head scratcher when they did it at a time when they knew, or at least you, you would hope that they would have known, that they weren't going to be contenders anytime soon. His high water mark is 44 points back in the 14-15 season. Last season, he had 21 points for them. He's, he's on the wrong side of 30. It looks like he's in decline. But as we mentioned, he's not the only bad contract on this roster. You've got Darren Helm signed for four more years at 3.85. On the blue line, you've got Danny DeKaiser signed for five more years. Now, Danny DeKaiser is supposedly in the prime of his NHL career as a, an NHL defenseman at age 27. But five, five more years at $5 million a year, and last year Danny DeKaiser gave you... 12 points in all 82 games. I've been very underwhelmed by DeKaiser from about game one of his NHL career, which might be uh, might be something to note for those who are uh, get really excited about college free agents coming out, that more often than not, that they are not going to be the player they are hyped to be. Wasn't that the Jason Bro tweet? Yes. I, think, I can't remember. The I forgot what the cop was, but it was, a great, it was great, and I should probably look it I up. I think it was something about, you know, the, uh, the, the T-shirt candidate games. Yes. Everyone gets excited about it. But most of the time, the prize kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, they, I, absolutely. Because, again, it's one of those things where when you're such a uh, the specific commodity and everybody is, is after you, 
I mean, Jimmy VC last year. Right. People kind of expect you to instantly step in and be a star. It just doesn't usually happen. So with this backdrop, and, and you, you can read what, what's coming out of Detroit. You can read what's coming from the national writers. Why is, why is nobody even talking about Ken, Ken Holland maybe being on the hot seat? I, I'm, I'm a little perplexed by this. Maybe it's his history, but when you look at this roster, when you look at the cap situation, how is he safe? I don't know if he's going to be safe for that much longer. Obviously, I think he'll be safe for this year, but in a couple of years, we're going to just we're going to touch on this in a second. But Henrik Zetterberg's contract and the odds that he, how long does he stick around? And then right. if he if he leaves, what are the implications there? They're not going to be a team that's contending for even a playoff spot for for several years. They might not be talking about his job being at risk now, but this time next year. I think that's certainly going to be a hot topic of conversation. And and another guy who might fall in that conversation or be on the hot seat is Jeff Blaschel, the coach who was who was brought in to shepherd these young players through the growth process. He had them in Grand Rapids. They loved the job he did there. And, and you know, you, you and Luke and I have talked about grooming your coaches in the minor leagues as being the ideal situation. Well, that's what Detroit did. Yeah. But then he stepped in, and you look at the key players, the young players, and, and I got a list of them, Dylan Larkin, Gustav Nyquist, Thomas Tatar, Riley Sheehan, Luke Glendening, Justin Albuquerque, who we just mentioned, Danny DeKaiser, Peter Morozik. All these guys seem to regress last season. Yeah, and I think that's been the most disappointing thing to me is they have these high-talent players that people thought highly of, and they've just never taken that, that, step, that next step. I mean, Gus Nyquist's best season was his rookie year. You know, it, it, Tatar has gotten slowly better, but it took him a lot longer to get up to, to the level they thought he was going to be at than he was before. Dylan Larkin took a big step back last year when everybody mm-hmm. thought, wow, this could be one of the – he could be in that group of great young centers. And you, you have to wonder, why are these guys not developing as fast as they need to be? And you look at, like you said, with Blashill, that was what Tampa Bay did with Cooper. Mm-hmm. You had a good AHL team that was winning with a lot of young players and a younger, youngish coach – and they all kind of came up together, but Tampa Bay's had a lot more success when healthy than Detroit is. Yeah, and obviously there are multiple answers. You're talking about a lot of players there, so there are probably different factors with all of them, but I can't help thinking just how valuable Pavel Datsuk was to this team, and when he walked away, it left a void that they don't even they haven't even come close to filling. No, and, and you don't see them filling that, whole, that void anytime soon. I mean... Maybe, maybe there were some people that thought not he would, not that he would match Datsuk, but that Dylan Larkin could at least fill that void as in two to three years he could be our true number one center. I'm not sure there are many people that are openly saying that right now. Now, he's, he's so young, you're not giving up on him. But if he's not, if his speak is maybe okay number two center, then you start to again wonder where is the other help coming from. Yeah, and then as you mentioned earlier, if Zetterberg walks away earlier, he has four years left on his deal, he's... he's, he's really intimated pretty heavily that he's not going to, to serve those four years. He's probably going to play two more years. When he walks away, what sort of leadership void does it leave when he's gone, too? It creates some bad cap implications for this uh-huh. team as well when he walks away, but the void that Zetterberg leaves when he's gone, I mean, that's that's basically all of the old guard gone now. Nick Lidstrom retired well a long time ago. Datsuk's gone, and when Zetterberg walks out the door, there's really no remnants of that incredible Red Wing franchise that we saw for a while. Yeah, and he's still been a fairly productive player for them. But, you know, I, I don't want to make any assumptions. I'm just, I just want to state these, this thing as a fact, and I'll let the listeners can, uh, do with what they will on that. You mentioned that he was thinking about playing about two more years. Uh, his base salary for the next four years, the last four years of his deal, $7 million, then $3.35 million, then $1 million, $1 million. So you, I, I, will, I will just leave that out there. 
Uh, I would be surprised if he plays the final two years of his deal. I'm not going to say why. I would just say I'd be a little bit surprised. Be okay with leaving two million on the table? I, I, you know what? I think he can afford to feed his family to kind of leave that two million on the table, which will be a lot more than two million dollars in cap hit that's left on the table for the Red Wings to clean up. Yeah. What about Peter Morozik? We just talked about him. Uh, he's in, entering the last year of his deal. Last year, Jimmy Howard outplayed him. Uh, Morozik at one point was thought to be the future in goal. I, Left exposed to the expansion draft, too. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be his last chance to figure it out, or maybe they've already made a decision here and they're just you know letting him serve it out and they'll move in a different direction. I'm always fascinated by the variance and performance of young goaltenders and how this time last year we thought, well, they have their future goaltender, Jimmy Howard's a nobody, and Peter Morazic's going to lead them back to at least being semi-relevant. And now you look at it and say, well, Howard outperformed him. He signed one more year, and Morazic could have been in Vegas. And I don't know what to expect from Peter Morazic. I don't know what player we're going to get. I don't know if we're going to be sitting here a year from now and saying, no, 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 uh, 2016 was just a, 16, 17 was just a blip on the radar. He's back now and he's mm-hmm. the guy. I could see any of those outcomes happening. I'd be curious. I talked to Kevin Woodley from Ingold Magazine about Morazic in particular, and he, he was saying he, you know, he sought outside help, psychological help as much as anything to sort of walk himself through the mental process of becoming a better goaltender, or at least getting back to that promise that he showed. So maybe that helps. Maybe we're going to be talking about that. Maybe that will be Peter Morozik's storyline at the midpoint of the season when he recaptures it. But I certainly have to look at this season and say, at age 25, it's time for you to show that you can be that guy or you just may not get many more chances in this league. You just don't get multiple seasons of poor performance at that position, at that age, and just get a pass. I mean, this is this is a massive season for him. And Again, I just don't know what to make of this team right now. I don't. I, I know that Other they're not a, not a playoff. Team. I know they're a playoff. They're not a playoff team. But aside from that, I don't. I don't see an easy path for them back to playoff contention because they have so much money tied up in players that either a soon won't be playing for them or b have never have been paid as if they're going to take that next step and haven't. And I, I just don't see that being corrected anytime soon. Yeah, it's tough to see a direction for this franchise right now, which is. Incredible to say about the Detroit Red Wings. One last thing before we close this out, and you brought this up in our notes. When comparing this team's situation to that of the New Jersey Devils, I think it's an interesting comparison, actually. Which team's timeline looks timeline to contention looks quicker? I think we both agree it's the Devils at this point. Yeah, it has to be. You know, We talked about the Devils earlier this week, and I, I think the biggest thing that you look at them and you can see a direction. Now, their blue line is a train wreck, as we talked about in New Jersey. But they've got a lot of young players. They had the number one pick. You kind of they don't. More importantly, they don't have many bad contracts, mm-hmm. so you can see an easy path forward for them. I think the Red Wings are going to be just hamstrung, even if they get in a spot two or three years from now where they want to be better. I mean, again, Nielsen, Tatar, Abdelkader, Franzen, Darren Helm, all on the books for three years from now for at least three point eight five million or more. That's going to be a problem for them, and I, I just don't see how they can get out of it. And, uh, but let's, let's, let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about another team that is very young, won't be a playoff team for a while, I, but interesting to see if they, who gets back to the playoffs first, the Detroit Red Wings, or this next team we're going to talk about with Steve Karp, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Let's bring in Steve. Okay, we're going to continue the summer preview series with a team I know a lot of us are really excited to see finally get on the ice. Jamie and I were out there for the uh, expansion draft, the award show this year. We're joined now by... Steve Karp of the Las Vegas Review-Journal to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Steve, what's the buzz like in Vegas right now for this team and their season that's going to start here in about a month and a half? A lot of excitement. Uh, we've got uh, 
rookie camp uh, two weeks away. The veterans come in on the 14th. They'll drop the puck in Vancouver on the 17th for their first ever preseason game. And then on the 26th, they'll have their first ever home preseason game. And their uh, new practice facility, which uh, costs between 25 and $30 million. the final price tag is not done yet. But the facility with two, re- two rinks and uh, locker rooms and everything, restaurant, bar, ready to open. And uh, it's a very exciting time for the, uh, for the Golden Knights and their fans who've been waiting a long, long time for this moment. Steve, it, it's taken so long, uh, too long in our opinion, for pro sports to actually embrace that market, that town, as, as a viable option. We, we know the story with the Raiders coming. I saw the, the thing that you had on them bidding on the World Cup. Is, is there any noticeable change in the, in the field of the town now that they have this sort of pro sports profile, this, this big sports profile? I, I think like we've, I feel like we've grown up. Like we, we've gone from adolescence to adulthood, if you will, in terms of our sports sophistication. Uh, for many years, obviously, when Jerry Tarkania was here, this was a college basketball town, and UNLV basketball dominated the scene. Yeah, we had big fights and, and a big golf tournament here and there, or we'd have a auto race or NASCAR or something. This is completely different. When you have your own major league sports team, it, it just gives you a different feel altogether, a feel of belonging like you're in a select club. And I think a lot of the fans here were ready for that. They were ready to embrace a major league sports uh, league, and the NHL being the first in reaps the benefits of that. Of course, the NFL, which is a whole different breed of cat altogether, when it comes here in three or four years, will obviously dominate the scene. But for now... Hockey has a great chance to get a, a strong foothold and a permanent foothold in this community. On that note, until the Raiders get to town, what is the franchise doing in the community to kind of raise its profile? Well, they they launched a series of grassroots initiatives with youth hockey in the area, trying to in, introduce kids to the game. They had a thing called Sticks for Kids, where they went all over town into local gyms and rec areas and gave away hockey sticks and pucks and, and, and hockey balls to kids along with hats and T-shirts to make them get kind of a feel for what the game is like. Now, obviously, there are some kids who've watched hockey and, and some have even played it, but their big push is going to be to grow the sport by getting kids on the ice, on blades, playing, kind of like the Ducks did when they got to Anaheim. They did a great job of their grassroots uh, youth program. And I know that's what the uh, goal is here. They're going to utilize the two sheets of ice at the uh, practice facility, City National Arena. They're going to hold youth tournaments there. Uh, there'll be house leagues and stuff like that. And, and But beyond that, uh, they recently went on a, a barnstorming tour through Utah, Idaho, and Montana, three states that have television penetration in the market to uh, have the Golden Knights as their team. And so they kind of took advantage of that to 
did clinics and did uh, get-togethers and, and things like that to try to uh, establish their brand beyond Las Vegas. Steve, among ownership and management and the players, and even the fans, what are the realistic goals for this team on the ice this season? Well, I think if you ask Gerard Gallant, the coach, he wants to be competitive every night with a chance to win. And if his players give him a good effort every night, they'll probably be in a lot more games than people think because they have good goaltending, they've got good defense, and they have enough scoring that I think will allow them to be competitive. And let's say the game is uh, they're down 2-1 to one going into the third period or or they're tied 3-3. Three, three. Uh, I like their chances of, of coming away with a point or two a lot of these nights, even though they're not going to be uh, player for player as talented as a lot of the teams they're going to face. They, they do have enough skill throughout their lineup, and I think they've got really good coaching with Gallant and, and Mike Kelly on the bench to give them the chance to compete every night. Just to back this up one step for a moment before we move back to the team, what can you walk us through that that drama with CBS CBS Las Vegas and blackballing them and how that came about and how it was all resolved? Yeah, honestly, I, I didn't think it was all that big a story because it was just one program director whose feelings were hurt. Basically, CBS Radio in Las Vegas had been to be the Golden Knights uh, radio home. They lost to another uh, group of radio stations here in town. And I think there were some hurt feelings. They had done some stuff with the team prior to the announcement. They felt they had the inside track. And when they didn't get it, I think the program director for the stations said, well, we'll show them. We won't cover them or anything. It was, it was kind of a childish and immature action to take, and then they came to their senses quickly, realizing the only people they're hurting are their listeners, and so they backtracked, and a couple of days later, reverse position. Uh, you know, I mean, if they if they didn't want to give out any information on the team, on their broadcasts, on their radio stations, that's their prerogative. I mean, but I think they're, they're doing their listeners a disservice when they do it, just like if we had decided... We're not going to cover the team in the newspaper. You know, a lot of people would be pretty ticked off at us to say, hey, what's your problem? You know, see, they don't care if there's internal squabbles between media entities and the team. They just want to be able to find out what happened, whether it's read about it in the papers or, or listen to it on the radio or on a sports talk show or have just warning DJs who were playing music talk about last night's game. Yeah. So uh, that that thing got resolved, and, and, and good for CBS Radio for being mature enough to see the error in their ways and and do it because the team, you know, the team made a business decision. Yeah. And had they chosen CBS and not Lotus Broadcasting, I don't think Lotus Broadcasting would have said, well, we're never going to mention the Golden Knights on any of our sports talk stations. It's amazing. I mean, that when, would be kind of ridiculous. Yeah, especially so, this is the first you know, professional team in town. It all got resolved, though. 
This is the first professional team in town. It's it's just staggering to imagine a media outlet taking that stance when you when you only have one pro team in town and you're telling your listeners yeah. we're not going to cover them. It's just it's bizarre. You're to right. Me. You're, you're right. It, yeah. it was a little strange at yeah. first, and uh, but look, it all got worked out, and and now the the real battle is uh, uh, getting ATT Sportsnet on the local uh, Cox cable system here, and also on on CenturyLink Prism, <laughs> and. Uh, that, that's a more ominous battle, guys. Uh, this this may not uh, make its opening night in Dallas on the sixth. The uh, I think it's it's going to be very hard negotiations between the two entities. Remember, AT and T owns uh, Directv. Directv is a direct competitor of Cox Cable, and I know you guys go through this in Arizona. You have Cox Cable there. Uh, it, it's not a an easy deal to try to broker so um it's it's going slow and uh i i hope they get it done i'm a cox subscriber myself but <laughs> if not then uh the fans will have to find other areas the good thing about it is here in las vegas if you don't have it in your house you could go to a sports bar or a sports book and watch the games there they'll have it on all right well let's so, let's look at uh look at some drama on the ice what the heck is Vegas doing with all those defensemen? What's the plan? <laughs> ah, that's a great question. Well, right now there's 12 of them, and, and only six are going to suit up in Dallas. You can't play 12, so right? So half of these guys are either in the minors or traded or gone. Uh, well, Nate, Nate Schmidt's dealing with a, an ankle sprain. Uh, he's supposed to be ready for training camp, but injuries may play a part, and... Guys could pretty much maybe play themselves off the roster with their with their quality of play during the uh, the short training camp of the preseason, and and Jordan McPhee may be able to make a deal for one or two guys. So whether it works itself out by opening night, I don't know. They they may wind up with nine or ten guys still in their defensive core with only six dressing, which means there'll be a lot of black aces in the press box uh, in Dallas on opening night. Uh, on the forward side, is there any chance that James Neal doesn't get traded at some point this season? It's hard to say. I mean, if he's playing really well, if he's if he's chosen his captain, let's say hypothetically, and he's turned out to be a real leader in the in the locker room, and the team is semi competitive and they're not horrible, I don't know that they're trading him. Uh, if, 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 you know, things are going poorly and he's struggling a little bit and the team's having a tough time and there's a market for a guy with his skill set, Yeah. I could see George McPhee moving him and get a couple of draft picks back. Absolutely. I mean, but it's way too early. I mean, here we are. It's, you know, it's August 23rd. It's hard to speculate what may happen in February. Uh, there's a lot of hockey that's going to get played between October and February before you can say, well, it was nice knowing you, James. Hope you had a good time and hope your real estate agent can sell your house in Vegas. You know, it's just a little too early, I think, for that. Now, the thing is, he's on the last year of his contract. He's going to make $5 million this year, and then he's a, a UFA. And, and there's going to be a lot of guys, by the way, especially at the defensive core, who – have expiring contracts at the end of this season. So next year is going to, next summer is going to be a real interesting one 
for McPhee because he's going to have to try to either sign some of these guys or let them go and test the market. And, you know, a guy like James Neal, who, uh, you know, is 29 and still, I think, has some tread on his tires, is a guy they're going to be watching real closely to see uh, how things pan out. Steve, obviously George McPhee stockpiled picks during the expansion draft and going into the NHL draft. They got a decent number of prospects, Cody Glass being probably number one among them. Do they view him as their future number one center, or is it too early to even have that sort of expectation? I think it's way too early for that. He's going he's gonna to wind up going back to Portland uh, at some point. He may, they may keep him around for a lot of the preseason and maybe, maybe even – allow him to get a, a game or two in in the regular season as a, as a fourth-line center. I think he has a, a great upside, though. And even though I, you know, in the development camp, he didn't really stand out. And, and then when I watched him at the showcase in Plymouth last month, uh, he struggled at times. But uh, he's, got, he's got a game. He, he was worth putting uh, a Golden Knights jersey on. For, for the franchise. He's a, he's a well-spoken kid. He comes from a, a very interesting background and he's a competitor. He, he could play. And I think over time he will evolve himself into a, uh, a very good NHL player. I'm not saying he's the next Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or anything like that, but I do think he'll, uh, he'll turn out to be worth uh, selecting at six. Steve Carp, you can find him on Twitter at Steve Carp RJ for all your Vegas Golden Knights news as the season approaches and, and throughout their inaugural season. Steve, thanks so much for the time and enjoy hockey this year. Anytime, guys. Look forward to seeing you in Glendale in October. Sounds right, good. Take care, Steve. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've wondered is that are they just going to go out there with six forwards and twelve defensemen and, and completely play the the two three offense? <laughs> I mean, they've got so many defensive players, and yet you heard him bring it up in there. A lot of them are free agents at the end of this year, whether that's unrestricted or restricted. So, but what do you do with them like in the meantime? It's almost like a tryout. Yeah, what I do don't... you do with if you take a look at these guys? Uh, do you see waivers exempt on any of those guys? <laughs> So nope. if you put them on waivers to try and send them to the minor leagues, somebody's going to claim them. I, you have to wonder if McPhee thought he would be able to make a couple more trades because he had he's, to. he's stockpiling a position of need in the NHL. Everybody needs defensemen, and yet he hasn't made the trades yet, and we're three weeks away from training camp. They, they have too many defensemen. He may have simply miscalculated here unless something plays out over the next Yeah, I mean, it, and even if he wants to wait and come, comes, comes in the season with nine defensemen, and takes that risk for a period of time waiting for injuries to happen around the league. That Those are still three defensemen that you now have to do something with, and if, if you get nothing from them, if they get claimed on waivers because you try to send them down, those are failed picks. Yeah. Again, the, let's make it clear. There, there was no blueprint here. You couldn't really even look at the last expansion draft and say, well, he should have done it this way. It's, there's no roadmap for this guy, so you had to try and construct what you thought was a logical plan, and maybe... There's an argument to be made that a lot of teams need defensemen in this yeah. league. Maybe you thought you could trade these guys. Maybe he's driving too hard a bargain. I, I don't know what the factors are here, but the bottom line is 
you can't keep that many guys on your roster and you can't get them to the minor leagues without exposing well, them. To yeah. And that might end up being the, the problem in general because if I'm an opposing GM, that's the first thing I bring up. You, right. can't, you can't keep 12 guys on your roster. You just wait. You, you're not going to rake me over the coals for a return here. You can't keep those guys. I'll claim them on waivers if you waive them. Ten of them are left-handed. Are we count, we're counting Eric Brandstrom as one of the defensemen, so we can almost whittle this down to 11, right? I mean, if we're sitting here trying to put this together, they just drafted him. So he's one of the uh, the 12 that's, that's signed, but it doesn't matter. Ten of the 12 are left-handed. A lot of them are sort of the same caliber of player where there's like a little bit of upside like Griffin Reinhardt had upside he hasn't really panned out but he's still only 23 I mean there's they've got like six or seven guys like that so good luck deciding which ones stick around and which ones don't you can't sit four or five defensemen every night. You, maybe, I mean, you literally can't. Yeah, maybe they literally just have to expose these guys to waivers. Maybe yeah, that's see what, what happens. Play it out here. I wish we had asked them why Vegas took Tamu Polkinen. That was <laughs> now that I'm looking back at the roster. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that that even shocked the Coyotes. We might okay? need to get George McPhee on for that. The Coyotes. Yeah. So, and by the way. There's no way James Neal is going to be on this roster at the end of the season. You can't. It, it, fine if 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 he's a a swell captain and this team is within what 15 points of a playoff spot. They're not going to be any closer. There's no way you're keeping this guy around. There's no way anyone's going to convince me that McPhee took him for any other reason yeah. than to trade him at the trade deadline because he's going to have huge value because he can put the puck in the net. The the only thing that would prevent a James Neal trade at the deadline is nuclear war. <laughs> Okay. Well, if you <laughs> there, there's, Jamie there's, coming I, in as Mr. Sunshine, I, I've never been more confident in, in anything. I mean, with an expiring contract on a team that's not going to contend for a while, yeah. and a, a highly sought after asset, including by his own his old team, uh, there's no way he doesn't get moved for something. It's, no way. It's such a unique situation because if you look at just players that are on the roster that are signed past this year, there's not all that many. Now you got Mark Andre Fleury and Net. You've got a couple defensemen. You've got Nate Schmidt. Griffin Reinhardt, Brad Hunt. But those are your only defensemen that are currently signed past this year. And even up front, there's not a ton. I mean, I'm not going to count David Clarkson. So we're looking at Riley Smith. Uh, we're looking at Cody Eakin. Uh, I mean, even Jonathan Marshall is, is not signed past this year. He was probably Eric the Hall. best. Yeah. He was probably the best pick they were able to just straight up pick they were able to make in the expansion draft. We're not counting trades or secret deals they had to make. Just to be able to get Marcheseau off Florida for $750,000 this year was a, a great pick. But this roster is going to look a lot different in year two. Yeah. And probably a lot different in year three as well. I yeah. mean, it's, it, a lot of that is just asset building and finding out, okay, who do you want, who do you not want, and what can I get for those guys? Because though most of the 95% of that roster won't be on that team when it makes the playoffs. I did like what they did in the draft early on. They just took centers and defensemen. And, and when I asked that question, I, I, Cody Glass isn't making the team this year. That's I don't think that's even a, a question. But they they were able to go out and get him and Nick Suzuki in the draft that are two centers with a lot of upside. And when you're building a team from scratch, you're just hoping one of those guys eventually becomes your number one center. There's no rush in Vegas, right? I mean, there's, there's no. no internal no. expectations. And because they're there before the Raiders, I think... That's the greatest possible thing that could happen to this franchise. And when the Raiders get there, they'll forget about them for a little bit in terms of expectations. So now we're looking at probably year five is when I think they'll probably start to feel a little bit of pressure to, okay, you got to be competitive. And you talk to people here around the Valley that have lived in Phoenix their whole lives and back into the 70s or whatever – they get fired up for the Cardinals or the Diamondbacks or the Coyotes or whatever, but they all say the Suns are the team they grew up with, so that was, that's their first team. That's sort of the team that a lot of people hear, if they're neutral in terms of, of which sports they like more or less, 
they all kind of say, I'd like to see the Suns win. And of course, they never do. Uh, if, if you know, the Golden Knights are that team for a couple of years, they they have that market all to themselves. That's that's invaluable. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say how much they'll outstrip the Raiders in that short period because obviously the Suns were here for a very long time yeah. by themselves. But there's uh, also al- four teams gener- here. Really, a generation, right? Yeah. There's, there's only going to be two in Vegas. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, I guess that's we'll, true. We'll see if the for now. jump at this now because uh, we've had this discussion many times. I have no idea why pro sports leagues waited so long to head into this market. All right, that's going to do it for us. We, uh, I don't know exactly who we're previewing next week, so it'll be a surprise. But I can tell you 15 teams it won't be because we've already done those 15 teams, and now I'm going to count them down in reverse alphabetical order. Okay, I won't. All right, for Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.